I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Hello. This is a special edition of Theology Unplugged. On August 22, 2010, Michael Patton preached a sermon at Stonebriar Community Church. The title of that sermon is God Helps. We've recorded it and are now presenting it in this special broadcast of Theology Unplugged. We hope you enjoy it. Morning. It's great to be back here. Um, I think uh, he got it wrong earlier whenever he talked about a missionary from Oklahoma. I think he was talking about you guys sending to Oklahoma to recruit football players. A little bit of a difference. Saw some of y'all in Norman not too long ago, so it's really great to be back here. I I know that a lot of you all may know me, some of you may not. Uh, I haven't been back to Stonebriar in a few years, haven't preached here probably in five years, but I used to be on staff here for five years uh, at uh, Stonebriar Community Church, and it's great to see so many of you all that I haven't seen in a long time. God is often confusing. Uh, I, I think the way that we think sometimes God ought to do things is not the way he does them. I often think that if I was on uh, the board of heaven, you know, I, I'd vote a little bit differently on some things. There are certain things that we think in our life evidence God's presence, and certain things that we think evidence his absence. Close your eyes with me, if you will. Ask yourself these questions. What things do I think would be different if I was really experiencing God's presence? Let me try to focus it a little bit more. What things do I think would change if God was really blessing me? Let me try to go a little bit more focused. Uh, What troubles would just disappear? Another way to put it is, what things cause you to look at someone else and say this? Boy, God is really present in your life. God is really blessing you. You can open your eyes. I know what mine would be. The first thing that at least would come to my mind is my mother. As a lot of you all know that whenever I left here a few years ago, I left because my mother had an aneurysm and a stroke, and that has left her quite debilitated in so many ways. She uh, can't, um, can't walk, she can't talk, she uh, can't really communicate uh, very well at all. If, if we understand her sometimes, it, she seems to have the mentality of a, of, of a child now. Much of her brain was removed during this, during the aneurysm, and so uh, she's, she is debilitated. She's just turned 60. I, I go there on Fridays, that's my day with her, and I, I sit by her most of the day while she sits in a certain chair that is her chair at home. My dad has not moved her to her nursing home. Um, and I, I often ask and have conversations with God because my mother was the spiritual foundation of our family in so many ways. And I have conversations with God and say, God, where are you? 
Can you help? Can you help somehow, some way? Maybe, maybe healing. I mean, we've, I've done everything I know how from, from my standpoint to twist the arm of God to heal her. And that hasn't helped. But maybe just, Lord, help by giving us a deep, or, or my mother, a deep inner peace. Let us know that. And don't let us see her seeming so confused all the time and, and so hurt all the time. That would be helpful if, if we're going to stay in this condition. If not that, help, help with my father. Maybe, maybe be with him and, and help him to turn to you rather than turn away from you. Make it, make it meaningful somehow. But from a very real present, uh, a real perspective, it seems at least that God is absent in this situation. He's not helping. Now you have your own examples in mind and I want you to keep, hold on to those for a moment. We'll, we'll come back to them. Things aren't always as they seem. There are times whenever God seems to be going one direction in our life, and we're going in another in our thinking. Whenever God is going right and we are going left. Now, I can't claim originality for that statement because it was uh, actually Chuck who made it. It was uh, a few years ago while we were at a pastor's meeting, a Tuesday morning pastor's meeting, and I was up to give the devotional. And after I gave the devotional, I mean, it was a wonderful devotional, changed all the pastor's lives. And, uh, uh, and then there was silence, you know, because it goes back to Chuck now. And Chuck sat there for a moment and pondered on what I said. He said, does it ever seem like God's going left and you're going right? I didn't really like that statement because it was really better than my entire sermon together. You know, I just summarized it. (laughs) He stole my thunder. If God is working in your life, how do you determine this? We want to go right when God goes right, and we want to go left when God goes left. We want to be going in the same direction as God, don't we? Often our thinking goes in opposite directions. It gravitates. The way we think gravitates in different directions. Christ was in the business of changing the way people think at a most fundamental level. He was a master at showing how God was going one direction while their thinking was going another direction. This happens a lot of time in the parables. In the parables, there's always some type of worldview shift going on. There's always some type of shock that we expect. It wasn't just tweaking or massaging the way people already thought and making it a little bit better. It was literally upheaval of a worldview. Completely flipping it upside down. Now, Christy's here. I told this beforehand. I told her, I I said I'd test it out. I tested it, so I'm going with it. I'm going to be in trouble, though, later. We um, were all uh, probably about four years ago at my sister's house. And it was me, my wife, my sister, Christy, and her husband, John, and Lindsay, my other sister. And we were watching a show, and it was a, a show, you know, a scary show, and it, and it was, you know, dark, and there were ghosts. And so everybody was kind of on the edge of their seat as we were watching it. And Christy had to leave for a minute. And whenever she left, I ran over and got some string, uh, uh, the, the thin string, what is it, sewing string. 
And I, I unraveled it. And I went over to right by where Christy was sitting. There was a chair right beside her, and there was a teddy bear, you know, a decoration teddy bear set up. I tied the string around the foot of the teddy bear. And then I walked over to where I was sitting, put my foot over the string so she wouldn't see it when she came back and tripped over it. So she comes back and, and sits down, and we keep on watching the show. And, you know, it gets intense again. Right whenever it happens, I just tug on the string just a tiny bit. And the bear just barely moves. Now, Christy. <laughs> she's looking at it, and she looks at us to see if we're paying attention. We're just acting like we're watching the show about to crack up, you know? We can't hold ourselves back. But then we let it go for a little bit. She doesn't say anything. <laughs> and then just a little bit later, I pull on it really hard, and that bear jumps off the chair. And you should have seen Christy. She jumped from one side of the room to the other on top of the bed in one jump. And, and listen to what she said. Listen to this. <laughs> she said, We have opened the door to the demonic. <laughs> Reality was going left and Christy was going right. Things are not always as they seem. Sometimes the truth is going in a different direction than us. In this parable called the rich man and Lazarus, we're going to witness Christ overturning, literally uprooting a people's worldview and the way they interpret reality. Now, we've already read through the passage, um, so I, I want to jump right into the, to the understanding and the exposition of this passage. In any parable, one of the things that you've got to do is figure out who the characters are. So we're going to be introduced very quickly to character number one. Turn with me. If you don't already have your Bibles open, make sure it's open to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 19. It says, now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. Okay, character number one equals rich man. That's all we've got. He hasn't been named yet. No name is given. Very important for you to recognize this, that this guy doesn't have a name. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, sometime in church history, around the fourth century, people decided to start giving him names. One name that uh, some church historians have given him or church history has given him is Dives. Rich man and Dives. You may have heard it said that way. Don't ever say it that way. Never say Dives, okay? I'll tell you why later. Uh, another name that was given to him by some scribe that was, that was transferring the Bible, you know, from one manuscript to the next, he didn't like that he didn't have a name, so he named him Nues. Another one named him Finesse. Lots of names that people try to give him. The point I want to make here for now is don't give him a name. You'll see why. Let's, let's look at the characteristics of this guy. Um, one translation has in verse 19 towards the end, uh, he feasted sumptuously every day. Another one has, the King James says, fared sumptuously every day. The New American Bible says dined sumptuously every day. I like the current translation of the New American Standard, which says uh, he, he joyously was living in splendor every day. You see, what we're trying to translate here is this word, euphorano. 
And this word is literally to cause somebody to have great joy, to become happy, to celebrate. We get our word uh, euphoria from it. The key here that I want you guys to see is that Christ is saying that this guy was really happy. He was a happy guy. He was, he was deep down satisfied with life. Not only this, he was very wealthy. Uh, it states that, but also he, he dresses in purple. Now we could miss that because there's a lot of people here that probably have purple on. Uh, it doesn't mean that much. But for us, or for, for the time in the biblical days, purple was a very, very expensive dye. And if you were wearing purple, you were probably a king. And, and if you weren't a king, then you were just extremely rich living like a king. That's the point. Christ is trying to show that this guy not only was very happy, he was incredibly rich. Extravagance. And we don't want to miss this. This was every day. This was every day. Listen, look at this. Joyously living in splendor every day. Was not a secretly depressed person. He didn't have bouts of sadness just every once in a while. He was not like some of these Hollywood types that when you look at and you, you say, look from the outside, they look like they probably have it all going for them. They probably have, you know, the fame and the riches and they ought to be happy. But deep down inside, you know, they're really torn apart. There's darkness, there's unsatisfaction, all kinds of things going on. That's not this guy. This guy really was happy. That's what Christ is saying. He really was happy. The audience, we need to look at the audience. Who's listening? Look at verse 14, same chapter. Said the Pharisees, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Now the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They are the Bible teachers. They're the ones who uh, set which direction God was going and told people, this is right and this is left. This is the way to think. And what you've got to understand is one of the, the Pharisees hear about this rich guy. This is their hero. This is the guy that they want to be like. This is the guy they're cheering. We have just introduced the hero of the Pharisees. You look in their rooms, and they're going to have posters of this unnamed rich guy. Their, their, their cell phones, the screensaver, will have a picture of this unnamed rich guy. Okay, That's how much they like him who they want to be most importantly most importantly according to the prevailing worldview the way of thinking was that this is the guy that God loves this is the guy that God was with this is the guy that God was blessing this is the guy that God helps if you were rich healthy happy God was with you Okay, we've got to introduce ourselves to character number two here. Uh, verse 20. It says, And a certain poor man named Lazarus, Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed from the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Character number two identified. A little bit different here so far. What is that? He's named. He's named. Now, hang with me, okay? Uh, uh, some people have tried to say that this isn't a parable because Lazarus is named. And, and parables, Christ does not give proper names to the characters, so this must be a real story. I, I, I don't believe that's the case. 
that it's very purposeful that Christ is naming Lazarus and not naming the rich man. I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but just hang on to that. So far, though, there, there couldn't be a greater contrast between this rich man and this Lazarus character. Uh, one commentator, Manson, calls this a violent contrast. The idea of being late at the gate tells us a couple of things about Lazarus. Probably he was crippled. Okay, because he was late at the gate. He had to be dropped off. He couldn't get there himself. So we're, talking, we're probably talking about someone who couldn't walk. He was a cripple. Another thing that I want you to notice is that he, he seems to have somebody that's laying him at the gate, some friends, but, but these friends don't know what else to do with him but drop him off. The idea of the text is that he was just dropped off there every morning. And these friends just simply didn't have the means to take care of him. Maybe they thought, maybe this rich man that we know of in town will do something about it because we can't. And they just didn't know what else to do. I'm not saying anything positive or negative about the friends. The text doesn't tell me. All I'm saying is they, they didn't know what else to do but drop them off. Not only this, he has sores. Sores. Sores all over his body. And to add insult to injury here, the dogs are coming and they're licking his sores. Now, this, this dog coming to lick your sores makes you ceremonially unclean in the, in the Jewish religion of the day. So, I mean, he, he, can't, he can't involve himself even in the religious practices. How far away can this guy be from God? You can't get any further. He didn't even have the strength either. Don't, don't miss this. He didn't have the strength to fend him off. I mean, can you picture the guy just laying there and the dog's coming up? Wild dogs. You just don't know what else to do. You just... You're just so, you're so discouraged, so down, so weak. Oh, well. Let him. We know in this day uh, from uh, some ancient Jewish writings outside of the scripture called the Babylonian Talmud that uh, there are three things that they thought made a man a no man. Hey, listen to this. Three things that would make you, as a man, according to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, that would make you a nobody. Somebody whose life is not worth living. Somebody who is better off never being born. What are those three things? Number one, not being able to take care of yourself. Check for Lazarus. Number two, being covered with sores. Check again. So you see what Christ is doing? presenting this guy in the worst of all circumstances. Now, number three, I'll just mention, is having a nagging wife, but, you know. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't put that down. I mean, it's Talmud or something like that. The point is, God was not with this guy, according to the Pharisees. This guy was worse off than you could possibly ever possibly imagine. The contrast is set up. Now we've got to get to the turn. The turn. Verse 22. Now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now we can't pass by this without understanding what would have gone on in the crowd whenever they heard this. What the Pharisees would have thought. If you, could, if you were there in that day, you would have probably audibly heard a gasp. Or maybe a you know, like P-F-F-F. I looked that up. 
and, and it's actually in the Urban Dictionary. It, it expressed when you are thoroughly disgusted by something. They would have text messaged their friend. Pfft. They would be incredibly disgusted. That's the point. Why? Because notice here, Lazarus, first off, was taken by the angels. The angels come and take Lazarus. Well, the angels are not, this guy is, is cursed of God, ceremonially unclean. We're not going to go near him. The angels certainly aren't. So, I mean, uh, what, what is going on here? Not only this, but it says here that he is in Abraham's bosom or at Abraham's bosom. Now, some people have thought about this as a literal place, and, and I, I, don't, I don't think we should ever go there. You know, there, some people have said there's a compartment that is between heaven and hell, and it's called Abraham's bosom, kind of like a glorified purgatory. And they get that from this passage, but I think that's the wrong way to go with this. I think Christ is trying to show the leaders of this day that what they thought was, was cursed is actually the most blessed. Why? Because he was at the bosom, or literally at the side, or better, in the place of intimate fellowship with Abraham, their father, the greatest Jew that ever lived, the one that he really wanted to be like. Here he is now at Abraham's side. Uh, Bach Daryl Bach from Dallas Theological Seminary says, Lazarus goes from being a lonely sufferer at the rich man's gate to an accepted blessed saint at the side of Judaism's patriarch. There is no better place to be. The fortunes have absolutely changed for Lazarus. The, La the, the Pharisees were going one way in their thinking, following some illusion. Not, not unlike, you know, the illusion of the stuffed animal. It was that bad. And God was going, or reality, was going in the opposite direction. We're not finished. Look at uh, 22, 22, the second half. It says, the rich man also died and was buried. What's missing? Angels. Just matter, he died, was buried. No angels come to get this guy. Verse 23, and in Hades, he lifted up his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham far away. And Lazarus in his bosom. Notice this unnamed guy is in hell. Their hero is in hell. The one they wanted to be like is in hell. And not only this, he's in torment. Not only this, no, don't miss this, Abraham is far away. Far away. See the contrast? Abraham's bosom, far away from Abraham. Uh, the unnamed man offers a resolution in verse 24. He cries out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he might dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. Notice here he knows Lazarus' name, doesn't he? Notice here, he's reliant upon Lazarus. Whereas Lazarus was at his gate before, now he's at Lazarus. Where he was at, and Lazarus was at his mercy, now he's at Lazarus' mercy. The situation has turned. The curtain of reality has been lifted to be able to see here now who God was with. 
Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Again, the turnaround. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able to, and that none may cross over from there to us. In other words, there's no way to change it. It's set. And think, think of the Pharisees. I mean, maybe their hope was that, that this guy is going to get out. Something's going to change. He's their hero. His, his worldview is their worldview. His end is their end, right? What if you think in such a way? But here's the nail in the coffin. Huh? It's done. Well, he comes up with another proposal. Verse 27. And he said, uh, Then I beg you, Father... That you may send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now I want you to see here, these brothers here are probably in the same situation that he is, and he knows it. They're probably just as well off as he is, probably dressing in purple as well, and probably have the exact same worldview. I mean, this guy is in shock to be in hell. Because the philosophy said he could not go to hell. And he says, oh my gosh, if this is the case, my brothers are going to come here too. I've got to get them out of here. Notice verse 29. Uh, says, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they don't listen to Moses, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the grave. The point is, and I think we do this a lot of times, don't we? I, I, I do, I, I encounter people, especially in my ministry all the time that do, that, that are always one step away from making that commitment. Always one step away from making that change. Always one step away from having their worldview to where they quit thinking in one direction that is right while God is going left. They're always one sign away. God, if you'll just give me this sign, then I'll really believe. I'll really change. God, if you'll just do this one thing for me, one more thing. What this is telling us here is that God has revealed himself sufficiently. And that if we have not responded to that revelation thus far, there's not any amount of revelation, not any amount of miracles, not any amount of signs that will change our worldview. We're stuck. These brothers were stuck in their worldview. They believed that they were okay because they were happy, because they were healthy, and because they had lots of money. A couple of things I didn't mention that are very important. Listen to this. The rich man, I, I mentioned that he's not named, but this is very important to recognize why he's not named. He's not named because unnamed people in this type of uh, story are forever forgotten. He, he, he is, it's adding to the, the, the unworthiness of the rich man's life that he is not even named. If Christ would have named him, you might be able to remember it. If we put it dives, we would remember him. But the idea is he's just some unnamed guy. Remember in Ruth, the book of Ruth, where, where Ruth was supposed to be redeemed. And, and remember, Boaz redeemed her. But remember, there was another guy that was supposed to redeem her, to help her. And he didn't. What's his name? 
Well, in the book of Ruth, he's called Mr. Such-and-Such. I mean, really, that's what it's called. <laughs> Mr. Such-and-Such. That's how, because the idea is that we don't even honor you with a name. This guy's not even honored with a name. However, the poor man, Lazarus, is named, isn't he? Lazarus means God helps. Lazarus, Lazarus the, the one who you thought God was against, that God hated, that God couldn't be with, he was the only one in the story that God was with. He was the only one in the story that God was helping. Another thing I want you to notice is in verse 22 once again. It says, now the poor man died. Now the poor man died. Now the poor man died. Notice how matter-of-fact that is? For me, I would say, before that, I'd say, boy, the Lord's teaching this guy a lesson. And one of these days he is going to stand up and the Lord will restore him and the Lord will take him and use him in mighty ways and, and it's going to be so much better than it was before and he'll be able to see and all his friends will be able to see why they've been through all this pain and trouble because it will be restored. Maybe, maybe a week, maybe a month. Maybe a year, maybe even two or three years he's going to have to go through these hard times, you know, where the dogs are licking his sores. But God's going to restore him. Because what is that old verse that I often will quote out of context? The, the, the years that the locusts have eaten, God will restore. It's for Israel. That's a covenanted community that's different. Lazarus died. The dogs were still licking his sores, I imagine. I imagine he's still at the gate. He may have even died um, from starvation. But the point is, we don't get the restoration of Lazarus like we got the restoration of Job. Remember Job goes through similar things and then he gets double everything. I like that story a lot better. He just died. Just died. I don't know what Lazarus was thinking. I can only imagine if I was sitting there by Lazarus listening to his prayers and listening to his philosophy and trying to figure out what... I know, the only thing I'll know is that he loved the Lord and trusted in Christ. That's, that's the only thing I would be able to say. But other than that, I don't know what kind of pain, what kind of depression he'd go through each day. I don't know what kind of stories you'd hear, what kind of, what kind of prayers requests that you would have. Probably I would quit going and drop him off just like his friends did because I couldn't take it anymore. It's too much pain for me to be able to bear every single day having Lazarus, and I don't know what else to do with him. As a brief summary, in some sense, to everything we've been talking about, uh, we need to say this. Being rich and healthy does not mean you're on God, God's favor. Being poor and sick does not mean you're not in God's favor. That's what is being overturned here. Now, one of the things we've got to say is that this parable is teaching us that it's irrespective of those things, isn't it? The outer appearances that we often think evidence God's blessing, God's presence, God's help, are often not indicators at all. One way or the other. I'm not saying if, that if you're rich or, or, or healthy, that you're somehow not in God's favor. That's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that it's irrespective of that what this is saying this is our pattern of thinking though 
We all gravitate towards this sometime. This is, a, this is a historic pattern of thinking. All the way back to the book of Job. You remember whenever Job was going through this. Remember that? And all his friends come to him and they think the same thing. Well, if you've lost your family, if you've lost your money, if you've lost your health, you better, you, you better think probably you're not in God's will, God's favor. God is certainly not helping you. Remember that? All the way to the day of Jesus. Same philosophy, still going on. All the way to today. I mean, we, we've got a formal name for it today. A formal theological name for it. It's called the health and wealth gospel. It's the gospel that says this. If, if you truly trust in God, if you trust in Him enough, if you love Him enough, He will have favor upon you and bless you. How's He going to bless you? Well, you're going to be healthy, first of all. Second of all, you're going to be wealthy. I just read an article the other day about one of these health, wealth, gospel, proclaimer, preacher men who claims to be a billionaire. And according to his philosophy, that means what? God really loves him. There's nothing more disillusioning than getting in this mindset. There's nothing that can mess you all up more with respect to the way that you think about God. If you go here, if you go here, we're all in trouble. Because you're going to continually be second-guessing God's help, God's presence. But look to Lazarus. God is telling us, look at Lazarus. He died in this situation. But he was the one I was really helping. <clears throat> For you, it, it may not be the same, but it is similar, isn't it? For you, you may not be late at the gate every day, but you're unemployed and wondering where God is at. It may not be the dogs licking your sores, but every day it's the bill collectors that call. It may not be your friends and family, family who drop you off at a gate, but you don't really have anybody that's close to you that can come to your aid. And you think to yourself, God, if you're really present, and I go through these, won't you rise up people that can do more than just drop me off every day? Dump me off? Sometimes he will, won't he? What a blessing that is, but Lazarus didn't have anything. We may be sometimes waiting for hope. And I have to say this, and I'm sorry, I don't want to say this because I'd rather go in a different direction but sometimes we're waiting for hope that's not going to come but it doesn't mean God's not helping God's silence and God's hiddenness we call out for him and we wonder where he's at C.S. Lewis said sometimes the heavens are brass all your prayers go up to him and come right back down to you as if they never hit heaven seems that way sometimes seemed that way for Lazarus it seems that way whenever you hear this parable and it shocks us to say that God named him God helps. Sometimes God goes left whenever you go right. Sometimes things don't work out the way we think they're supposed to work out if we were voting. Many of you guys know uh, David Siobhan. You know, in his passing, recent passing, he was a uh, pastor here as well. He was uh, over me for many years. David uh, Siobhan died recently of cancer. Some of you know a guy named Michael Spencer. He is sometimes called the Internet Monk. Uh, a good friend of mine. We, we, he blogs over here. I blog, and we get 
caught up and make for, we were friends and and we were uh, uh writing a book together he found out that he had cancer and they both died about the same time now i was so i was so pleased to hear whenever wendy said that david's death was was he, he had so much he was so brave that, that he was so graceful in his passing because that's the way that I think it ought to happen. I hope that it happens. That's what I hope is that there's going to be a sense of peace and, you know, it, there's, there's going to be angels that come before I die, right? Uh, and, and I was so glad to hear this. But it's not, it wasn't the same with Michael. Michael, from the time he got cancer all the way until the time he died, from what I understand, what Denise tells us, is that it was just terrible. It couldn't have been worse, and there wasn't a break. There wasn't a time whenever it seemed like they got relief. She uh, blogs about his death in a blog entitled, Sometimes It's Just Plain Hard. This, she concludes with this. Where were the visions, the angels, the heavenly music soundtrack? Michael fought a hard death, and he died a hard death. And that was that. But you see, what this is saying is that irrespective of what things seem, how things seem on the outside, both of them were named God Helps. Both of them were. Sometimes God does do different things differently. Lazarus is one of those cases where you're like, why, why? Um, another thing I want you to get out of this is that even happiness itself, okay, we talked about riches, we talked about health, but even happiness, remember how emphasized this idea of happiness was with this guy? Even happiness itself is not the indicator of God's presence. I remember my mother taught me this. Uh, many years ago, I think it was 1991, whenever I was just, I was an absolute mess, running all over, making her life terrible. Sorry, Mom. Uh, you know, just whatever, whatever she wouldn't want me to do, that's what I was doing. I had moved to Arizona on a whim and just doing what, you know, a 19, 20-year-old would do sometimes. And I called her up one time and she was so mad at me. She could get mad too, boy one good thing she doesn't get so mad anymore uh she was so mad at me and talking about how I moved away from there and and I said to her I said mom I said listen to you I thought I was wise I thought I had it figured out I said listen to you 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 are not happy but I'm happy so who's in the right here I thought it was good And she said, Michael, I'll never forget this. She said, sometimes it's not about being happy. It's just about doing what's right. Happiness is not an indicator of God's presence in your life. Okay? It's not an indicator that he is present or he isn't present. What I'm saying here is that we've got to understand that this rich man was happy and he didn't have Christ. While health and wealth are a blessing. They are not indicators of your position before God in any way. The only indicator is Christ. What have you done with his son? What are the things that you thought of earlier? What are the things that you expected if God was present that would be happening and the signs of his blessings? What are the things that you show you believe this is an indicator of God helping you? 
and apply this parable to that. The only thing, the only indicator is Jesus Christ. If you have Christ, if you have trusted in him, you're a thousand times better than a thousand of these rich men, these unnamed people, these people that are happy and seem on the outside to be something different. I'm not saying we don't, we can't be happy. I'm not saying we can't, can't um, have, have riches. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying irrespective of those things, Christ is the only indicator of God helps. And if you have Christ, you are named God helps. Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That rich man was disappointed. You won't be. Do you feel like you've been thrown at the gate? Feel like that's where you're at now? You feel like the dogs are licking your sores? Do you feel like there's nobody able to come and help you? Do you know someone at the gate? No matter what trial or trouble or pain or, or hopelessness you find yourself in, if you've trusted in Christ, your name is God Helps. And my mom's name is God Helps. She's at the gate every time I go over there. I'm one of the people who drop her off at the gates. But her name is God Helps, and I have to keep that perspective. And she may die in this circumstance. More than likely, that's what's going to happen. But her name is God Helps. How do I know? Because God tells me right here. I know that, and I can trust in that. I must trust in that. I don't have anywhere else to go. Don't evaluate the reality of God's presence in your life based upon your circumstances. Our ways are not His ways. He is confusing he is often confusing, but God is never confused. Let's pray. God, we're, we're sorry that many times we go the opposite direction. Even though we read passages such as this and we know what you have told us and we've read Job and we've seen it all a thousand times before, but it's just so hard. We, we so often think that it's an indicator only whenever we have these outer blessings, whenever we're happy, healthy, and, and have all of our bills paid. But Lord, we know that you're with us and you help us even whenever these things are not present. And Forgive us for forgetting that. Forgive me for forgiving that, forgetting that. Give us the ability through the power of your Holy Spirit to solidify ourselves and root ourselves in this new way of thinking, to go in the same direction that you're going with our thinking. Lord, what a blessing that would be. Thank you for helping us, and thank you for naming us such. It's in Christ's name. Amen.